Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by TunnelBear. TunnelBear is the simple privacy app that makes it easy to browse privately and enjoy a more open internet. To try TunnelBear for free with no credit card required, go to tunnelbear.com slash CanadaLand. And this episode is brought to you by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions that take about 30 minutes. For 50% off of your first box, visit hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand. Enter the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. Joey Coleman, independent crowdfunded local journalist from Hamilton, Ontario, open data activist, and much, much more. Uh, Welcome back to the show. It's good to be back. Joey, we are going to try to figure out which CBC management blunder from this week alone is the most goofy. They have not made that easy. And we are going to discuss a pretty revolting intrusion on press freedom in Niagara. Welcome back. This episode is brought to you by Jan Noster, Michael Albert, Jerry Reason, Kristen Malcolm, Stephanie Williams, Akbar Nulibayev, Bruce Van Dieten, and Nick James. Hi, I'm Nick James, a public servant from Montreal. I support Canaland because as a Montreal that doesn't necessarily feel Quebecois or Canadian, it's refreshing and vital to get news stories and media criticism that hits in all directions and that is truly coast to coast in its own way. And this episode is brought to you by Tunnel Bear. Joey, you are a journalist on the go. You know that uh, your data hygiene is of the utmost importance and you never know when you're on an open 
Wi-Fi network who might be snooping on you, I would like to suggest TunnelBear as the simplest solution to this frequent problem. So much of what we do on the internet is dominated by U.S. companies. That means that American policies affect the rest of the world directly and indirectly. If the FCC strikes down net neutrality in the U.S., there's very little from stopping American companies from keeping records on every single person, whether or not they're a U.S. citizen that uses their services. When you do an online search, you should not have to worry about who can access your browsing history or which companies might want to buy that history. You can stay in control of your privacy with TunnelBear. They encrypt everything. Once you're encrypted, they swap your IP with an IP from its own private network anywhere in the world. You can tunnel to a different country. See what the internet looks like if you were surfing from that other country, the country of your choice. There is an added layer of privacy because they encrypt your search requests so companies can't see what you are searching or what websites you are headed to. Try TunnelBear for free. You don't need a credit card. Go to tunnelbear.com slash CanadaLand. Parents are facing an explosion in the number of children saying they were born in the wrong body. It was like a battle in a war zone. One top expert has now been fired for challenging the idea that children know best. A four-year-old might say that he's a dog. Do you go out and buy dog food? In our own family, if I were to let my kids do everything they wanted to do and affirmed everything, you know, there would be Pokemon posters everywhere and no one would ever get dressed and we would eat only McDonald's. The great majority of children who show significant cross-gender behavior in childhood end up as ordinary gay men and not as transsexuals. I've heard some parents say after their child transitioned, well, at least they're not gay. I think the transgender movement is reinforcing gender stereotypes. Gender dysphoria can be a disturbing childhood condition. Okay, what we just heard are some sounds from a BBC documentary that actually came out like almost a year ago. And the documentary is called Transgender Kids, Who Knows Best? BBC documentary licensed by the CBC it was set to air this week on the CBC. But Joey, last night, as I was preparing to talk to you, this all broke out that CBC was pulling it. CBC announced that uh, due to the content and due to uh, complaints, a lot of complaints from people who didn't want this to air, they were pulling it from the schedule. And immediately, you know, even the way the news reports were, 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 were framed, it, it was suggestive that this was like CBC was buckling to some sort of activist pressure, that this uh, was a, you know, tantamount to censorship. Headlines, uh, CBC pulls, quote unquote, harmful documentary from schedule after online complaints, says the Toronto Star. Uh, Chronicle Herald, CBC pulls transgender kids doc from documentary schedule after complaints. And uh, very predictably, we have Ken White, the former editor of the National Post, uh, saying, hey, I didn't see this documentary, but like, what is this? Are we, are we going to start pulling, he tweets, uh, any journalism about a minority community if they object to it? And uh, John Kay tweeting, activist social panic comes to the CBC. Who wants to let science stand in the way of the trans revolution? And so, you know, sight unseen, this is being set up as a debate between trans activists and science. 
I watched the documentary. And by the way, if you want to watch the documentary, this whole idea of CBC censoring, luckily in this day and age, it's it's pretty hard to censor things. You can watch it. It's up on Daily Motion. We'll put a link up if you want to watch this documentary. I know you didn't get to see this documentary because you were up late uh, breaking a big story in your region. You know, usually we try to uh, have both uh, seen the thing so we can have a chat about it. But this 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 broke late, so it's just going to be me me talking about it. I want to ask a different question than why did the CBC pull this documentary. I want to ask the question: Why did the CBC license this documentary? in the first place. This is a British documentary that is entirely about a Canadian story. It looks at transgender issues amongst kids and what to do about them all through the lens of what happened uh, here in Toronto at CAMH, where a gender dysphoria clinic was shut down and this, this Dr. Uh, Zucker was fired. That is like the lens through which the entire thing plays out. It deals with uh, the legislation in Alberta and I think it kind of misrepresents or at least torques this this bill in Alberta, like, like uh, the, the, the bill that Jason Kenney got into so much hot water about around whether or not schools should snitch on kids who join uh, gay and lesbian alliances at school and tell tell the, the parents that the kid is identifying as gay or as trans or whatever. And, and, you know, I think quite reasonably we said that, no, the school shouldn't be doing that. This is how the documentary frames that. New legislation in the province of Alberta states that parents have no right to be told if their children want to adopt another gender. At school. So there you've got the British narrator of this British documentary, uh, I think either misrepresenting or highly skewing a piece of Canadian legislation. Why would a Canadian broadcaster buy a British documentary about a Canadian issue? And, and why would the CBC air this? I mean, even if it wasn't made by the BBC, I feel like they kind of reveal themselves when they describe this Alberta legislation as legislation that says parents have no right to be told if their kids want to adopt another gender at school. I mean, the way that they chose to phrase that tells me which side this documentary is on. I've, I watch this play out in the media, and it feels so disattached from my reality in my community. And what most concerns me here is that we, we try to turn people into objects. They're no longer themselves. They're no longer individuals. They're part of this larger debate. They're activists or, you know, the, there's this implication that there's something wrong with them. And I, I just don't understand this, that sort of way of doing things. I just look at, you know, these are people living. These are people who are who they are. And we as a society should be embracing them. This idea of boogeyman, because we, of course, had an ad here in Hamilton that made it out that pedophiles were going to take advantage of the transgender protocol and go in little girls' washrooms. You know, we we need to get past this social panic and we need to figure out how do we enable people to have full enriching lives and be full participants in our society and be fully embraced. I mean, that was another problem I had with this film is that I felt it was wildly exploitative of the kids who are in it. Like you, they, they feature a bunch of kids who were born identified as boys and are now living as girls and they're kids and they're on camera and they're like open and kind of gorgeous and beautiful and expressing why they did this and why they feel better about it. And they have no idea that they're in a documentary that is sort of casting them as freaks with this scary music of like, oh my God, get the scalpel away from this kid, uh, lock their parents up. They were probably told that this would be a fair 
rare and sensitive film. And I, I just feel like they're not old enough to have consented in a meaningful way. And, and I feel like there has to be some level of like, I, I would love to know what they felt about, about the, the ensuing uh, product. I, I'm going to say is that CBC ha- has a responsibility to provide accuracy over their airwaves and to provide insight over their airwaves. And in as you described this documentary, this documentary is not designed to be insightful. It's designed to manipulate a message and to send a narrative. In terms of the purchasing, uh, I can only presume that CBC read the synopsis and thought, oh, this is about Canada. Okay, let's buy it. Not realizing until they actually felt, viewed it what they were getting. And sometimes mistakes occur. <laughs> That's a general. I mean, like you know, they, they would buy it without watching it. I mean, this wasn't a co-production. They 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 assumedly uh, had the opportunity to watch it. You know, I'm told this aired you know months ago in the UK, and it is suggested both explicitly and ominously through the aesthetics of the documentary, uh, which you heard a little bit earlier. There's this ominous, creepy music. There's this weird, creepy old vintage footage of like kids in in, in schoolyards in the '60s skipping rope, but it's played backwards. If that isn't too on the nose. Um, and it kind of creates this air of menace and you get the idea like, wow, society really has gone mad where, you know, kids say a lot of things. And, and if the kid is in control, you know, like you get this idea that like if, 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 if a kid, a little boy expresses a vague interest in pink crayons, he's quickly going to be like put in, in girls clothing and then sent off to a hospital where uh, he will have his genitals cut off. I mean, it is a very alarming document. And, and the voice of reason in this documentary is this poor fired uh, doctor, Dr. Ken Zucker who says, like, this is all the agenda of activists and radicals who want to paint me as a guy who's who's practicing conversion therapy. Just as a journalist, I had a big a problem with, like, unanswered questions in this documentary. It, it ultimately, it leaves you scratching your head. They throw a lot of anecdotes at you. Uh, they throw a lot of stats. They You know, one person has one stat about uh, whether people... Uh, you know, stop wanting to switch genders. And then somebody says, well, that stat's being disproven. You're not left with any kind of like, well, I don't know which science here is correct. They're both claiming that science proves them right. But the most important data isn't in there. I mean, to answer the question that the documentary actually poses, transgendered kids, who knows best? Does a kid know best if they feel like they are a different gender? Or should society be enforcing this upon them? How do you answer a question like that? You know, uh, I guess it's weighed in somebody's happiness. What are the outcomes? And happiness is very hard to measure, but one thing that is definite is uh, sadly suicide. And we all know that like trans people uh, face a much higher suicide rate than the population at large. So as a parent, if I were trying to decide what should I do with my kid who identifies as different than what they were assigned, I would want to know if I go this sort of poorly explained Dr. Zucker method or if I go this poorly explained affirmative method, which method results in the lower suicide rate? Which method results in happier grown-ups? And it never tells us. Like, I, I found it to be an inherently dishonest and exploitative film. And I'm not going to get into an incredible amount of detail about this. But I will say that for the first 49 minutes of this documentary, you, you any viewer would be led to believe that the affirmative model, like little Billy says that he thinks he's a girl, doesn't want to be dressed up as a boy anymore, doesn't want to be called a boy anymore. Uh, the affirmative model should be like, okay, we'll, 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 uh, we'll uh, indulge you, we'll affirm you, we'll affirm, we'll let you dress how you want, we'll call you what you want. That, that part of that affirmative model is surgery before puberty. For 49 minutes of the documentary, 
you would think that that is part of the affirmative model. It's actually explicitly said. Here's Zucker saying as much. I think that the activists are basically saying that there's only one way to work with little kids, and that's to kind of nurse them along until they're ready to transition and need biomedical treatment. And that's the whole construct, is that it's activists against scientists. That's the way this whole thing is set up. And only at like with 10 minutes of the, of the documentary left is the advocate for the affirmative model heard saying, No one, no one, least of all me, no one is suggesting children should have surgical alterations to their bodies. Please not. You know, I, I, I feel like it, it sets up a false dichotomy. I feel like CBC, like there's no way they should air something like this. And they've done a real disservice, I think, to trans people and to the public dialogue because now we're having a really dumb debate about uh, CBC caving into activist pressure instead of asking like, uh, what was CBC thinking in the first place? Joey, I had about a dozen people send me this link to this, uh, this local news story from the St. Catherine Standard. Uh, the headline read, Niagara Region seizes reporters' notes and computer that the city or the municipality seized a reporter's computer and notes I know that there's a lot more to this. Can you give us the nutshell version of what happened here? So the Niagara Regional Council was meeting Thursday night. They went into closed session to deal with a matter involving a controversy, um, inappropriate behavior by one of their counselors. The reporter from the, the St. Catherine Standard, which is the daily newspaper that was owned by Post Media, is now owned by Torstar and is in that transition. He was out in the foyer. He left his items in the council chambers, which is perfectly normal practice in Niagara and is fairly common practice at municipalities across Ontario where reporters step out to interview people about items. They leave their items in the room. Beside him was a gentleman who runs a conspiratorial blog, a gentleman named Preston Haskell. The council goes into closed session. The reporter outside, he's not aware that they're in closed session. Again, this is fairly common when you're busy interviewing people. One of the counselors has a suspicion that there's a secret recording going on, goes over to the media table. They see a recorder. They've got the computer of the reporter. People are still trying to figure out who gets the blame. But what we do know is that the regional staff seized everything at that table, including the St. Catherine's Standards laptop and notebook. Regional staff were refusing to give it back to him. They called Niagara Police. Niagara Police responded. Now, they're saying that they called Niagara Police on Preston Haskell, but Niagara Police, when they arrived, Preston Haskell had left, and Niagara Police ended up in a asking the reporter from The Standard to leave, which he did. Um, the region kept the reporter's items. Uh, they put out a press release the next morning, the region saying that they had handed it over to Niagara Police for investigation. Niagara Police very quickly put out a statement saying, no, we have, we do not have these items. We are not investigating and explained we were called to city hall for a regional hall for a person. We did not ask the reporter to leave. We did not arrest anyone. Um, so now we have the question of how was freedom of the press infringed? We have the calls for the provincial ombudsman to investigate. We have calls for the provincial minister of municipal affairs to investigate and this is just the latest in what I will call zaniness of Niagara Region. So what? So what? What are they saying now uh, about why they why they took it away and had they given it back and like who's accountable for this? Right now, we have a few of the regional councillors, including a few of the lower tier municipal mayors, are saying that 
they believe that the blogger, uh, Preston Haskell, was recording and that staff were told to deal with his recording. Staff were not told to touch um, Bill's equipment. Many of those politicians have apologized. They've been asking for staff to explain how it spiraled out of control. So you've had these fights that have gone back and forth between these conspiratorial blogs and the region, where the region's overstaffed. The bloggers are, again, conspiratorial. The problem here was the region, in trying to overstep on the blogger and the escalation of that matter, infringed upon freedom of the press. And one of the fundamental problems in our municipalities is that in too many cases, professional journalists are silent when other individuals are being silenced by the municipality. You know, myself, as uh, some of your listeners may recall, I was assaulted by the police board chair. He was angry that I was covering the public meetings of the Accountability and Transparency Committee. And there was no call from professional journalists locally for accountability on that. In March, I was trespassed for a public meeting. They created a new policy that said bloggers, which is how the city categorized me, are not allowed to broadcast during meetings. And they included in broadcasting tweeting. And that's why I was removed from the meeting was because I had a cell phone in my hand tweeting. And the reality is, is and we saw this uh, a couple weeks ago with the mass closure of newspapers in Ontario, for the foreseeable future, the people who are going to be covering City Hall are going to be local. They're not going to be professional. In the case of Niagara, we've talked about the conspiratorial blogs, but Niagara has about a dozen really good, serious citizen bloggers who engage in acts of journalism that run into interference and untold numbers of Facebook groups. Well, I'm glad that you bring up your own difficulties in covering Hamilton as an independent journalist, because I immediately thought of you when I heard this story. And it also made me wonder, like, can we look at this tree and see the forest? Like, what does this tell us in a wider context? It was not lost on me that this is one of the papers that was involved in this uh, post-media tour star swap and kill effort, one of the surviving papers. And the story of Bill Sawcheck and the story that you tell me that he's sitting there next to a blogger and the distinction between an independent blogger, independent journalist like yourself and a conspiratorial, scurrilous part whatever we want to call this guy who was sitting next to him. I, I couldn't help but wonder from the story, you know, on the local scene, it's a very different scenario for local governments to have in the press gallery – uh, somebody from a totally minimized and and hobbled local newspaper sitting next to a few people who, depending on your point of view, you know, people have called you a scurrilous blogger and, you know, they called me the same thing. And that's sort of in the eye of the beholder. Uh, are we seeing these like little local fiefdoms, local government basically intruding more and more on reporters, on their freedoms, seizing their stuff, make, putting up obstacles when there isn't that same sense that you're going up against a big newspaper that that you rely on that's gonna that's gonna come back at you that your constituents read. Are you know are, are we seeing an attack on press freedom because in, in in smaller communities the press just isn't as strong as it used to be? Yes, we are, and you know government never stops censoring when they've censored the people you don't like. They always move on to censoring somebody else. Uh, government once they have a power they expand it, and that's why. You know, myself, and this has drawn a lot of flack from the mainstream media in Hamilton, we have six seats on our media row, and they're first come, first serve. And there have been times where there's a group called Catch Citizens at City Hall, and they do very good analysis of City Hall, is sitting 
at the media table and other journalists take offense to that. And I always note that the freedom of the press is not the freedom of the corporate press. And it's not really the freedom of the press. It's not the freedom of journalists. It's merely the freedom of citizens that we as journalists get the privilege of exercising as our job. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. Okay, Joe, I'm going to thank a couple of our sponsors today. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh creates delicious recipes with step-by-step -step instructions designed to take 30 minutes for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks short on time. If you are feeling like you can't take another company party or social event with friends around the holiday season where you're just not eating well and not feeling good about yourself, then uh, cooking for yourself and for your family is just the remedy for that. HelloFresh makes it simple. They source the freshest ingredients, measure to the exact quantity needed, so there's no food waste, all delivered to your doorstep in a special insulated box for free. Try it out. You get 50% off when you visit hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand and use the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. Finally, this episode is brought to you by Away Luggage. They offer high-quality luggage that is designed to be resilient, resourceful, and essential to the way that you travel. Away bags and accessories make for the perfect gift with their lifetime guarantee and 100-day trial. So there's a perfect size and color for everybody on your list this holiday season. Or if you want to let somebody pick out their own size and color, you can get them a gift card. As mentioned, they come with a variety of colors and sizes. Four, in fact. They feature a TSA-approved combination lock, four 360-degree spinner wheels, and a patent-pending compression system to help overpackers. And they come with a USB charger for your cell phone. You can just plug in any 
phone to your suitcase, which is incredibly useful. Uh, Joey, I have one of these away suitcases. It's the best piece of luggage I've ever had. It is very easy to move around with. You can get a lot of stuff in it and it takes a beating. Try one for a hundred days, travel with it, check it out. If you decide it's not for you, you can send it back, get a full refund and it has a lifetime warranty. If anything breaks, they'll fix it. You got nothing to lose. For 20 bucks off of an away suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash CanadaLand, promo code CanadaLand. Joey Coleman, it is time for Duly Noted. And I know that you are a humble man who would never uh, toot his own horn. And I don't like to tell people what to duly note. Usually it is up to you what you note duly. But I'm going to uh, force the duly noted upon you because you're a very worthy enterprise. Your crowd-funded local journalistic effort in Hamilton is crowdfunding right now. And I would like you to duly note that for us. Will you please? So right now I'm running a crowdfunding campaign. There's all kinds of stories I want to cover and all kinds of FOIs I want to file. You know, I'm... Looking to grow next year, I think with a lot of elections next year, that this is my chance to finally grow, start hiring people, and start showing the way that we can rebuild local journalism. I'm really privileged that I can go to obscure meetings, obscure committees, or for example, what I did in October, spend seven days at the Ontario Municipal Board going in-depth on a hearing because people fund my work. I'm not under the pressure of advertising. And I'm really looking forward to the future of news where, much like Canada Land, the readers are funding it so they can focus on the journalism and it's not under the pressure to generate clicks. So you can visit thepublicrecord.ca and make a contribution. I definitely invite people to do so. And it's always great when I get those small donations from people across the country and in Hamilton because it tells me and it reminds everyone that people are willing to fund news. Yeah, I, I think that people who are not necessarily even in Hamilton should go to the publicrecord.ca and see what you're doing because you are a, a pioneer in this country in trying to develop a new model for like what what can one person do to cover a neglected uh, area as a journalist. And, and you are a very detail-oriented guy who is going to do the shoe leather reporting and go to these obscure committees. So it's, it's you may not care what uh, Joey is reporting about in Hamilton because you don't live in Hamilton, but you probably do care about the state of local journalism around the country. And throwing him a couple of bucks for his efforts is going to make this model something that other people are going to replicate. And it's, it's going to, I think, you know, we, we really are so risk adverse in this country. If some person succeeds, then other people will go that way. But if somebody fails, then it's just like, oh, that's it. It was tried and it failed. So I think it does matter that uh, that what you're doing is supported and people should check it out at thepublicrecord.ca. Duly noted. Jesse, you have anything to note? In fact, Joey, I have something that I would like to duly note. Uh, while we're talking about censorship, I don't think that, uh, the, that what the CBC did necessarily constitutes censorship, but I think that what has played out in Nova Scotia is pretty worrisome. And that is that Cole's Bookstore, which I believe is owned by Chapters Indigo, they canceled a book signing. The author, Joan Baxter, was going to come into the local Coles and sign copies of her book, The Mill, 50 Years of Pulp and Protest. Okay? This is in, in New Glasgow. And why did Coles cancel this book signing for the book, The Mill? It's because The Mill didn't like it. The Mill in question is a Northern Pulp, and their communications director wrote an email uh, that stated, in my opinion, this book is a non-factual rhetoric-filled account of the mill and its history, and quite frankly, something that is offensive, blah, 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 uh, goes on to say that, uh, that, that they will boycott Coles. But there's a threat beyond that, that this is a community in which uh, Northern Pulp is a very, very big presence, and the local bookstore, I think, just completely, completely and, and shamefully buckled to this pressure. 
and canceled. And I think the chapters Indigo uh, head management really needs to pay attention. Like, you know, I know that they're really in the scented candle and pillow business as much or more than they're in the book business. But if they have any sense of responsibility to the exchange of ideas in this country, the fact that a mill can have a book signing shut down uh, of a book that is critical of that mill is just disgusting. Um, and I, 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 I think we should all be for, pointing the finger at Heather Reisman and, and asking what she's going to do about this. Absolutely. And this is a concerning trend that we see in small towns and in provinces which are owned by one family of censorship. It's unacceptable. But also, I'm going to add to that, if I may, Jesse, our universities and our colleges need to be stepping up as well. And when they hear of these incidents, they need to be assisting by hosting book signings and by helping people outside the academy to have an exchange of ideas. Because part of the reason we're seeing such an attack on ideas and such a normalization of misinformation in our neighbors to the south is that for a period of time, too many people were silent and we allowed the public discourse to be filled with static and anger and whoever yelled the most into a microphone. Duly noted. Okay, one final thing I want to talk about. I promise you there was more than one instance of uh, CBC management acting goofy. There's this piece that Gary Mason wrote in the Globe and Mail. The headline is, What of CBC's Strange Corporate Culture? In this piece, Gary Mason talks about uh, a recently fired CBC reporter out in BC, Richard Zussman. Richard Zussman's a very well-regarded political reporter who uh, covered this this crazy uh, provincial election in BC and then went off to write a book about it and, uh, and then got fired from the CBC um, because of that. That's what you kind of get from this Gary Mason column. And it, it really does like, you know, your first read of this thing, it's, it's pretty enraging. It seems that uh, it seems that Zussman wouldn't talk to Gary Mason because there's arbitration over the firing. Um, Gary Mason claims he's got other sources of the CBC. I would not be surprised if Richard Zussman is, is just talking, but just not on the record. But uh, uh, Gary Mason seems to know Richard Zussman, though not well. And, and, and says like, you know, CBC is one of these organizations, like when I went to work there, you've got to sign a document saying everything you do for them belongs to them completely. They have copyright to everything. You know, typically in other places I've worked, if I'm writing uh, stuff for a newspaper or a magazine, I can I can use that in a different way. I can, you know, come up with a compilation book of essays, you know, nobody ever asked me, but I could do that. Uh, CBC, they, they own it lock, stock and barrel and they have very strict rules that I think most CBC employees know that you have to ask permission. Lots of CBC employees do write books, do other media appearances, but you have to ask permission. Apparently, Zussman did get permission from his immediate superior, but didn't get uh, the right permission from the right person. If you get a little bit further into this piece, it's revealed that there was a bit more to it than that, and that, and that it seems that, that Zussman also did something you're really not supposed to do. He identified himself as a CBC reporter while doing reporting for the book. And I, that's not particular to the CBC. I would not want anybody at Canada Land. Anybody here is free to do work for whoever else they want. But you can't go and say, hey, I'm a Canada Land reporter. I'm a Canada Land producer. And, and, and in fact, you're doing something for something else. Um, I don't know if that's a firing offense. I think that uh, we don't know all the details of this. But, you know, it, it does bring up something that I think uh, CBC's policies of not playing well with others when it comes to their own people uh, are getting increasingly anachronistic. Um, you know, though we did see, you know, we talked about Stephen LeDrew last week on the show, the uh, CP24 guy who went on to uh, Tucker Carlson and made an ass of himself. He's since been fired. 
So it's not like CBC is the only place that uh, that has this weird. Uh, that that might have been more about how big an ass he made of himself than the fact that they didn't want to share him with Fox News, though, Joey. I don't know. What do you think about this? When when, when you were um, working for bigger media brands, did you ever get into issues about uh, who you were allowed to work for, or, or whether you had a side hustle, anything like that? I, I mean, I had those confrontations at one point. First media outlet I was working at. Um, when I came on board, they promised me that my blog would have comments and the, they didn't del- deliver on that. And after a month, my contract required me to do so many blog posts for them. And then, so I did those and then I did blog posts on my own website. And there was a lot of tension about that. Uh, so I've been there. I mean, the CBC, uh, f- a firing offense. Um, I've worked for government. I was in the military. I was uniformed, but I was in logistics. One time, and I do recall, and I got formally reprimanded for it, I had a complaint about a Dairy Queen that closed early. Um, and I know it sounds really zany, but I mean, I really wanted Dairy Queen that night. They closed five minutes early, and I was on the phone in my at my desk the next day, and in the conversation with them, I said, I set my watch every day. I synchronize it. I'm a soldier. I make sure my watch is right, and this was five minutes early, and you know, I got talked to about, you can't say that because you're misusing your public position. And that's, you know, <laughs> that's proper. And that's, you got to have those rules. Uh, in this case, your, your interest as a soldier was in conflict with your interest as a, as a daily dairy queen customer <laughs> yeah, who yeah. sets his watch. Right. A bit right. of an aside. I mean, no, no, in, in your defense, you were merely referencing your military status to buttress your claim to accuracy when it comes to timing. You are not trying to bring the full weight of the military down on your local Dairy Queen. Yes. I will stand up for your right. <laughs> uh, the Dairy Queen did send me a lot of gift certificates. They were really nice. And they included a note, which this is where it got awkward. They said, and we've added some because you serve your country. Wow. Okay. Uh, so No, no. Before you move on, sir, before you move on, did you use those gift certificates, Joey? Did you use them? Yes, I did. Absolutely. Shameful. Shameful. You will not keep me from a banana split. Um <laughs> ill-gotten Dairy Queen gift certificates. Um, but to get back to our our discussion, there was a mistake made. And it's important because when you set up policies, you need to be very vigilant because once you get that creep of, well, yeah, technically that's against the policy, but we allow it in practice, you get into a lot more problems. That's a good point. That's a good point, Joy, because of course, you know, we know that the the, the, the big uh, egos at CBC and the big personalities, they, they you know, Amanda Lang didn't get permission before she went to the Globe and Mail and wrote for them. Uh, and only after the fact, when people complained, did that become an issue? Like, you know, the rules don't apply equally to everybody over there. But, you know, aside from that unfairness, which I think a lot of CBC employees, the rank and file is very concerned with, is just a larger sense of just like, first of all, it's very good for the CBC if Richard Zussman goes and writes a book that buttresses his claim to be, you know, he, he for him to remain a CBC reporter and have like a great book about the election, it, that is not a conflict of interest. They should be proud of that. They need to have a look at this stuff. And uh, I understand that as a public broadcaster, they have different concerns than other people about this, you know, but they're very happy when their people uh, get stories picked up by bigger news organizations. And sometimes they get confused about that. You know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hearing from certain correspondents who say, they get they get giddy when you know foreign news picks up a little local story, but then you know uh, even for freelancers, you, you can't get paid for it, or, or you can give an interview to this one, but they, but not to that one. I mean, they're trying to set terms even for freelancers at this point, and you know it's it's a new world out there, and and nothing is guaranteed. And if you're working in media, you you got to make a buck any way you can, and like. You know, I mean, as long as people get their work done here, I, I want them to go and, you know, be on as big a platform as possible and, and talk about their work here elsewhere and make other types of projects based on it. Like, that's a good thing. The CBC 
needs to get its act together in terms of right now they're celebrating their dominance, but their dominance is merely the result of the fact that they have a wealth of funding that they are able to use to go out and spread themselves. And I, I was reading the Winnipeg Free Press the other day, and I made, there's a lot of interesting things happening in Winnipeg that I link my readers to, and I really try to go to the Winnipeg Free Press. But I look at how CBC is going after the Free Press and how quickly CBC will have their own version of a story the Free Press has. And I, you know, I go, geez, CBC, this is really not what you're supposed to be doing. You're not supposed to be going after this newspaper. And CBC will say, well, well, no, we're not. We're just trying to dominate the market, and the newspaper happens to be there. Well, Joey, that's that's it exactly. Is is that there's still this this um, explicit mission of like we're here to dominate the market. That's not what Canada needs right now. Like we we need a public broadcaster because it's not that they're doing so great as you point out. It's that everybody else is in such miserable shape, and for them to have this kind of like predatory uh, and and very competitive attitude, uh, if, if if other people, uh, we don't need them to pick up stories other people are already reporting. We need them to fill in gaps. And and uh, you know there, there there is a proposal out there that their journalism should be open source, open license for other journalists to use and build upon. That's the ideal role. Joey, that is your Canada Land Shortcuts. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me. And we are on Twitter at Canada Land. Where can people find you, Joey? Uh, so I'm on Twitter, Joey Coleman. I tweet at all hours of the day and night. And uh, the publicrecord.ca is my news website. If you like our Facebook page, our news stories show up in your Facebook news feed. Or you could just go to canadalandshow.com and read them there. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. This show was produced by Abby Madon. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will let me serve in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.